0: a story there, and you guys know when I'm telling a story, I mean, that's my element right there. I just love the Bible stories, and uh, uh, I think Hollywood ought to make more Bible story movies. Amen? And uh, this is a good one. They could make this one right here. Peter and John have just been in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit has come, and they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'll come to the cross and the crown this week, you will see what Peter was like before being filled with the Holy Spirit and what he was like after being filled with the Holy Spirit. Before being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a Christian in the Old Testament sense of the word since Christ had not yet died on the cross and had not yet risen from the dead. He was a disciple of Jesus, but... He was uh, one who had little boldness and little wisdom. And so uh, Peter was one of those people. He's kind of like a hardison. He kept his foot in his mouth about as much as he did on the ground. I mean, he kept saying the wrong thing. And, um, but then when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like he has super wisdom, supernatural wisdom, and supernatural boldness. Because you remember, Peter, before being filled with the Holy Spirit... He uh, told Jesus, you know, if they come and arrest you, I will be there for you. Uh, If they come to put you to death, these other 11 loser disciples may not be with you, but I will be with you. You can count on me. And so the Bible says that they did come and arrest Jesus, but Peter wasn't there, and Peter didn't keep his promise. The Bible says he followed Jesus after they arrested Jesus, but he followed Jesus afar off. A lot of Christians follow Jesus that way. They want Jesus because they want to get to heaven when they die, but they don't want to follow Jesus so closely that people identify them with Jesus. Did I just preach right there? I think I just preached right there. And so we want to follow him so we get our, our ticket to heaven. But we don't want to follow him so closely that we might actually be persecuted for following him. But the Bible says that after the day of Pentecost, Peter has holy boldness. So he and, he, and, um, he and John, and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been in the upper room 10 days seeking God. And the Holy Spirit comes, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he's a different man. And so he's walking into the synagogue. It was the traditional, regular time to go into the synagogue for prayer. And he walks through the gate, beautiful, and right there is that lame man who's been there every day. Everybody knows him. Probably uh, at about the age of 12, his his legs stopped developing. Now he's above the age of 40 years old, this crippled man, the Bible tells us. You'll read that when you study Acts 3 and 4, that he was above the age of 12 But his legs probably were that of a... or He was above the age of 40, but his legs were about the age of a 12-year-old. Looked like about a 12-year-old. So he was crippled. He could not walk. His legs could not carry his body.
1: So he would lay at
0: the gate beautiful every day, and he would hold up a cup. And the Bible says... The Bible says that Peter and John are going in for prayer. And there he is, and he's holding up his cup... And Peter and John says, or, or Peter says to him, y'all know this, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, what? What he meant by that was I don't have any money, but I just got something in the upper room that's better than money. He said, and I'll give you some of that. And so the Bible says he told the man, look on us, not because they wanted glory or praise, but to focus His attention on them and stop looking around trying to get money and just look at us. He took him by the hand and the Bible says that he looked at that crippled man who had been crippled all his life. And he said, rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and walk. And I don't know what happened, but if you'll permit my imagination, I see the legs that look like a 12-year-old's legs all of a sudden fill out. Sinew, muscle, bone begins to grow, and right there before their eyes, this 40 year old man receives the normal, natural legs of a 40 year old and he stands up and he begins to walk. Well, then, when he realizes fully what's been done, he goes leaping and bounding and praising God. Anybody out there with me? Now, I don't care what denomination you are. When that happens to you, you're going to do some shouting. Amen, amen. And so he was shouting and praising God. And Peter and John, I think what they were going to do was kind of slip off, you know, to the side. Because they didn't want any praise. They didn't want any glory. They knew they were not the ones who healed this man. And so they were just going to kind of get out of the picture, you know, and and let people go. Didn't they say in the name of Jesus? And they knew Jesus would get all the glory. But the Bible says that the crippled man who had just been healed ran and grabbed them. And held them. Now I don't know what that means exactly. I think he was just putting some, some, uh, some uh, spiritual loving on them. Amen. And hugging those guys and saying, "Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for what you've done for me today. Thank you for giving me far more than what money could have done for me." And so a crowd begins to gather. And people have questions, and the Sanhedrin, they begin to gather, and they're in the back of the room. You know, the the super religious people are always standing in the back murmuring. I didn't say in the overflow. I love y'all back there. Y'all awesome, man. It's that second service crowd. And pretty soon, I'm going to have a third service to deal with. Man, so you guys here in the mature service, pray for me. And everybody knows y'all are better Christians because y'all get up earlier. Okay, y'all receive that? So the spiritual people there in the back, you know, the, the super holy holies and the, and the ones who think they know more about the Bible than everybody else. And, and let me tell you about these people. They don't really do anything for God. They just gripe and complain and criticize the ones who are getting it done. Amen, amen. And so the Bible says they were talking, and all of a sudden Peter, you know, is telling them about why this man is healed. And so these, uh, these theologians come up, and they say, we have some questions for you. So they start asking questions, and we're not going to preach on this today, but i got to tell you all something. In your spare time, go back and read the sermon Peter preached to them in Acts 3. Buddy, he laid them out. It must not have been preacher voting time, or he'd have never preached this sermon. And he laid them out and told them, you're the ones who killed Jesus. You're the ones who crucified him, but that's okay. He rose from the dead on the third day. You guys put him in a borrowed tomb. You thought it was over. But I like what the old black preacher said. He said, ain't no need to buy a tomb if you're just going to use it on the weekend. Amen? <laughs> Amen. And so, uh, so he said, you crucify. And so Peter laid this sermon out. And the Bible says when he got through, and now I'm ch- just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says 5,000 people were saved as a result Now, I don't know if that means people heard it and then went and told it and heard it and told it and heard it and told it. it. I kind of think that's how it happened. You know, they didn't have sound systems back then. So I think you told everybody you could tell and They went and told everybody they could tell and Then they went and told everybody they could tell, hey, that sounds like a pretty good plan to me for today. And so he was preaching. And so the Sanhedrin, they just got all upset. So they come in there and they're going to arrest Peter and John and they arrest them and bring them into the courtroom. But there was one problem. I mean, they wanted to really just beat the tar out of them or just kill them or just throw them into jail for the rest of their life. But there was one problem. That cripple man, he was standing over there going. <laughs> because the Bible says that the Sanhedrin, well, you know, they were talking about what they wanted to do to Peter and John. And, and then one of them said, well, a notable miracle has been done, and we cannot deny it. Amen. Amen. Let the power of God move in his church so that the unbelieving world will have to say, you know what, I don't like those people. I wish those people didn't exist. But I got to tell you something, lives are being changed and we cannot deny it. Amen, amen, amen. Let, us be, let that be said of us. And so they threatened them. They brought Peter and John in and they just threatened them. They said, let me tell you. They shook their finger for emphasis. And they said, don't you ever preach in Jesus' name again and don't you ever lay your hands on people and heal them in Jesus' name again and don't you ever teach in Jesus' name again because if you do, well, boy, it's going to be bad. (laughs) And they actually probably said to them, we'll kill you or we'll beat you and then throw you into jail and leave you there for the rest of your life. They probably just really, the Bible says, they uh, threatened them further. So they probably just really became very graphic about what the results of them continuing to preach and teach and heal in Jesus' name would mean. So Peter and John did exactly what I would have done. I've got to tell you all something. If, um, if, if this country were to come to a place where Pharaoh Hardison couldn't preach the way I preach now and they were to come and arrest me... Take me into the courtroom and threaten me and say, we're going to let you go back to that church, but you got to preach this and you can't preach this. I would come straight back. I would call you. I would send out a mass email. I would call you and I'd say, we've got to have church tonight. And Pastor's Tuesday night, I know, but I've been in court all day today and I've got to have church with you tonight. And that's exactly what Peter and John did. They went back to the church and they told the church what the court had said. And I want you to look. This is where we're going to start preaching at today. I want you to look at this prayer that they prayed because the first thing the church did was say, before they made comment, before they did anything, they said, let's pray. Let's pray. Amen? Amen. Prayer ought to be a first thought, not a last resort. Can I say that again? Matter of fact, if I had a pen and paper, I'd write that down if I was sitting out there where y'all are. Paper, paper. Prayer. Matter of fact, I gave y'all some paper today, so get your notes out. They're in your worship program. Gave you detailed notes today. And I know when you first look at them, it's going to scare the daylights out of you. You think we're going to be here to lunch, but we're not. That is if y'all listen fast. That's up to y'all how long we're here. So... So they said, let's pray. Before we comment, before we talk, before we offer advice, before we strategize, before we say how we're going to respond to this thing that the court has said to Peter and John, let's pray, let's pray. So prayer ought to be a first thought, not a last resort. But let's face it, with a lot of Christians, it's a last resort, isn't it? I want you to notice some things about worship because the first thing they do in this prayer is worship. As I go through the Bible and study the prayers of the Bible, I'm going to tell you that a vast majority of those prayers begin with worship. A vast majority. I'm not going to say every single one of them do. But you know, I can't think of one right now that doesn't begin, first of all, with adoration and praise to God. So we're in the fourth and final sermon in a series called I Dare You to Move challenging you to become a worshiper. And if you'll turn your paper over, your notes over, you'll see on the second page down at the bottom that I'm challenging you to go home and write down some things that you're going to do differently after this sermon series. Now, church, I want to tell you something. Me, Jared, Pastor Andy, others, we can get up here and preach and you can say amen and fill in all the blanks. But if it doesn't change our behavior, and if it doesn't change our life, then we're just going through the motions. So I want you to write some things down that you're going to do that are going to make you a better worshiper. And write some things down. And I won't give you those things. You will will pray and God will give you those things that you're going to do in your personal life. And your list is going to be different than everybody else's list. But let's become greater worshipers. And here's why. Number one. Number one in your notes. Genuine worship increases our faith. If your faith level is low today, Learn to be a worshiper, and your worship will raise your faith. Now, when is our faith lowest? It's usually lowest when we are going through rough times. It's usually lowest when we... um, kind of expected some really good things were going to happen and they didn't happen and instead some really bad things happened i mean it's bad enough when the good stuff you thought was going to happen didn't happen but when instead of good stuff happening bad stuff happens that'll challenge you faith right there amen and these guys right here you know they've been to the upper room they've been filled with the holy spirit all they did was heal a crippled man and instead of things getting good from that things got really really bad So that makes you want to go to God and go, God, what's up? Man, I'm obeying you. I did exactly what you wanted me to do. Can I tell you all something this morning? Obedience doesn't always lead to immediate blessing. Sometimes obedience will lead to a battle. Sometimes when you step out in faith, it will lead to a war in your life. Some of you are struggling in some areas right now and you don't understand what in the world's going on. And if you look at your life, it could very well be because you've decided to go to an HNL. Everybody knows what an HNL is around here. Whole nother level. <laughs> some of y'all are good. Oh, I don't think that's how you spell that. Anyway, some of you decided to go to a, a higher height with God. You've decided to go to a deeper place with God. Now, listen, when you do that, the enemy's not going to sit back and just let you go there he's going to war against you. He's going to come at your children. He's going to come at your finances. He's going to come at your job. He's going to come at uh, your relationships. He's going to to do everything he can to stop you. So these people are going through a really tough time. Their faith is being challenged. So instead of them going to God and saying, God, why is this happening to me? And please move us somewhere where everybody loves you and loves the preaching of the word all that stuff, instead of doing that, they just said, let us begin by remembering who he is. So first of all, under that, there are three points under that first point. First of all, they saw God, their worship was centered around God as the creator, the creator. See, you got to see him as creator. When you're going through a really, really bad time, you got to remember that he made everything you got to remember He made everything. You remember that little video clip uh, Pastor Jared showed last Sunday, Francis Chan talking about where we are in the universe, that little tiny speck? And you got to remember how big God is. And one of the ways to do that, that is by remembering that He's the Creator. Look at Acts 4.24. It says, Then all the believers were united. How many of you know it's important to be united as believers? As they lifted their voices in prayer. And here's what they said. Oh, Sovereign, that means total control, Lord of all. You're, you're, excuse me, you're over everything. Oh, sovereign Lord, watch this Creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Here's what they were saying. You say, well, Pastor, I want to be a better worshiper, but i got to tell you something. After I've said glory to God ten times and hallelujah ten times and thank you Jesus ten times and praise the Lord ten times, I don't really know how to praise God beyond that. Well, let's look at what they said when they were praising God. They were saying, Lord, this Jewish high court has told us not to preach anymore in your name. They've told us not to teach or pray for the sick anymore in your name. But, Lord, we understand today that you are the creator and they are the created. And so they said, Lord, we ask you today to help us not to be intimidated by them and help us to remember that when we pray to you, we are praying to someone who has the very forces of nature at his very fingertips. You see, the seas of the world wash back and forth in the palm of his hand. Nothing makes him tremble. Nothing makes him fear. God is creator and Lord of all. I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what your problem looks like this morning, but I challenge you to remember that he made it all. And God is challenging you this morning to look beyond your circumstances you are in. Look beyond what is visible to these eyes And see the invisible. I'm telling you, if you could just see your problems, and behind your problems is a God that is so vast and so much bigger than those little things in your life. You remember when David fought Goliath? David ran up his little 15 year old, you know, had a little peach fuzz, wasn't even shaving on a regular basis. He came up and saw that Goliath down in the valley, and he said, "What's the problem here?" And they said, "Oh, he's a giant." And David said, "Well, somebody go down there and start to say kick his butt, but I won't. <laughs> go down there and take him out. That's the Christian version of kick his butt. <laughs> go down there, somebody go down there and take him out. No other pastor in Goldsboro said that, by the way. I can be a guarantee. You. Go down there and take him out. And they and they didn't like that man. It made them mad." Because, see, when you're, when you're weak and this little fuzz-cheek guy comes along and he's bold, that makes you look like a wimp, doesn't it? And his brother said, why don't you just go back and take care of the sheep? That's what they said. They said, this guy's too big to hit. David said, he's too big to miss. <laughs> Amen? Because he saw his creator God. He didn't see Goliath. Do you all hear what I'm saying to you today? And that brings us really to the next point. Not only is God creator, number two, he's the controller. God is in control. You say, you don't know what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. I assure you that if you will stay on your face and you will push that plate aside from time to time, God will be in control of your life. Anybody out there hearing me today? I'm excited in the early service. Amen. Amen. Here's what they do. Now, this is important. They go back to the Old Testament. We're in Acts 4. Acts 4 is New Testament. As a matter of fact, Acts 4 is after Jesus has died on the cross, been buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. We're in Acts 4 the Holy Spirit has come down. The church is being birthed. The church is beginning to function and, 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 and uh, be the church Jesus wanted it to be. But they're being threatened and they're being uh, fought against. They're being rejected. And, and uh, so they, they are praying here. And in verse 25, he says, you spoke long ago, Acts 4, 25, you spoke long ago, they're talking to God, they're still praying, God, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit Through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, this is the same David that killed Goliath. And they're quoting Psalm 2. They're quoting Psalm 2 here. So what, what is the lesson for us right there? That we need to mix the word in our praying. We need to mix the word of God in our praying. You don't really have a very powerful prayer life if you're not knowledgeable about the promises of God and the scriptures. Look what they're doing. They're bringing the word of God. They're bringing the promises of God into their prayer time. And they say, God, David said, why did the nations rage? David said, why did the people waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord, listen to this, and against his what? Messiah. Now, here's David in Psalm 2 talking about the Messiah that they've already seen in Acts 4. They've already seen him come to Bethlehem, live a perfect life, die on a cross, be buried in a bar of tomb. They've seen him raised from the dead, and they've seen him ascend into heaven. So, when they read about David talking about the Messiah, they know who he's talking about. Look at verse 27. He said that is what happened here in this city. For Lord Herod Antipas, now they're back in the modern time, and Pontius Pilate, y'all remember Pilate? Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus. Listen, just like you said in Psalm 2. God, we saw Psalm 2, we saw that prophecy fulfilled. They were united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. Verse 28, and this is the key verse about God being in control. In fact, everything they did, listen, everything Pontius Pilate did, everything Herod did, everything the Romans did, Lord, was according to your eternal will. And plan now y'all got to get this David wrote about the rejection of Jesus 700 years before Jesus was even born so here's what these people are doing they're going hey hmm they're going you know what I remember the darkest day in our history when our Lord was hanging on a cross and, and, and I thought everything was out of control. I thought God had lost control. But now I remember back in Psalm 2, God already knew every, all of that was going to happen. So even when it looked like God wasn't in control, He really was in control. Some of you think God isn't with you. You think he isn't in control. You are trying to do all of the things you know to do to maintain a healthy connection with him, but it looks like every time you touch something, it falls apart, it breaks. Listen to me. Hang in there and trust God. He's going to reveal himself to you, and he's going to vindicate his presence in your life. I tell you guys, that's important. Thank all seven of you. Listen. These disciples were facing a difficult situation. I don't often ask people to look back because I think we need to look forward, but there is a time to look back. And when you're going through really, really hard times, you need to remember those times when your back was against the wall and you were between the proverbial rock and the hard place and God came out of nowhere and rescued you. And that's what they're remembering. And they're saying, hey, you know what, God? We remember that day when Jesus was hanging on the cross and our hopes and our aspirations and our dreams, they were just nailed to this hellish Roman cross. And we thought you weren't in control. We remember that day that our Jesus was ganged up on by the high court and by Herod and Pontius Pilate and all these people took our Savior and nailed him to a cross. But God, we also remember that you already knew about that because when we read in Psalm 2, you prophesy the whole thing through our ancestor David. So actually that day when we thought everything was out of control, it really wasn't out of control. You were in control the whole time. Look at that last verse, verse 28, Acts four twenty-eight. In fact, everything they did to Jesus, occurred according to your eternal will and plan. So here's the word of the Lord to you today. God is in control. God, I don't care what, you say but, there's no buts there. God is in control. Trust him. Trust him. Walk in the dark. How many of you know some of this walk we walk called the Christian life is in the dark? It's in the dark. But somebody told me Christians are like film. They develop best in the dark. I'd write that down right there. <clears throat> How many of y'all ever heard of Corrie ten Boom? Corrie ten Boom suffered in Hitler's concentration camp. Yet she was a shining example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The power of God in your life. If you haven't seen the movie The Hiding Place, you need to rent that. Get that and look at it. Read the book, The Hiding Place, Corrie ten Boom. It'll it'll touch your life. you'll, You'll need a Kleenex and tissue with you. She saw horrible, horrible, horrible things. Yet she stood true to God. Here's what she said. She said, you know what? I've learned there's never panic in heaven. Only plans. Never panic. She said, you know, God never has to call the Holy Trinity to an emergency session. Can y'all just see God up in heaven and go, man, I didn't know that was going to happen. Jesus, Holy Spirit, get over here. We've got to have a meeting. Never happens because God already knows. Can I just tell you something to just freak you out a little bit? Do you know that God sees all of time at once? He sees it all at one time. I know you want to go, blah, 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 blah. I know, I understand. But God sees everything at once. He just knows where we are on the line. When he looks down at time, he sees it all. There's a word that I want you to write down in your notes. And it is the word providence. Providence. Our God is a God of providence. And here's what that word means. Listen. God sees ahead and makes provision. God sees ahead and makes provision. So what these disciples were going through, God already knew they would face it. What you're going through right now this morning, God already knew you would face it. He's with you. He's with you. Let me give you the third thing. Creator, controller, conqueror. 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 Now they haven't asked God for anything yet. All they're doing is talking about who God is. They're praising him. Somebody dared them to move, and they moved. They said, we're going to worship God. We're not going to ask. We're not going to whine. We're not going to complain. We're just going to remember he is creator, controller. Now we're going to see that he's conqueror because if you look in Psalm chapter 2 and you look at verse 6, you will find this verse. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now listen to me. Here's what that means. That means God, you are. You watched as they took your son and tortured him and humiliated him and hung him on an instrument of torture called an old rugged cross. And they put him in the. You watched every bit of that, yet in verse 6, hey, 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 Psalm 2, we're in the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't even been born yet, 700 years before the death of Jesus, before the birth of Jesus. 733 and a half years before his death. And here they are saying, yet in spite of all that Pilate did and Herod did and all the people that are going to come against my Messiah, I have have established him on the throne of Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to preach on the end times this morning because this summer I'm going to talk about the end times. We're going to go through a series called The Last Days and we're going to do that all through June, July, and August. Now, I'm going to preach some things through that, and some of y'all aren't going to agree with me, but if you'll come up after I preach, I'll forgive you. Okay. (laughs) Listen to this now. God said in Psalm 6 that I will establish my king in Jerusalem. Now, ladies and gentlemen, has that happened yet, even in our day? No. When is that going to happen? I think when you look at the timeline of the last days, it happens after the tribulation period. Jesus is going to come back. You see, the rapture of the church is not Jesus coming back to earth. In the rapture, Jesus comes in the clouds. And we are called up to meet him in the air. And then we go with him. I believe for seven years we are in heaven. The marriage supper, the lamb and the, and the judgment seat of Christ takes place. And then down on earth is the, is the tribulation. We'll talk about that this summer. But right after that seven years, we will come back to earth with Jesus. This is not a fairy tale, boys and girls. We will come back to earth with Jesus, and Jesus will be established as the king of this world. Right now, the Bible says in the book of Luke that that Satan is the prince of this world. But Jesus will take it back. He will rule from Jerusalem, and the earth will be as it was in the Garden of Eden before man sinned. How cool is that? You say, well, I don't believe in that. You know what? Even if I didn't believe that, I'd get saved just in case it is true so I didn't miss out on it. (laughs) See, if I'm wrong, I'm still good. If you're wrong, you're messed up bad. (laughs) Amen, amen. So just go ahead and give your heart to Jesus and, and you can fuss about the end times all you want to. You say, well, I don't even believe in the rapture. Well, when we're going up in the rapture, I'll just look at you and go, nah, 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 nah. here's what I'm saying to you. He is conqueror. Yeah. He will sit in Jerusalem and rule this world. I don't care what any president says. I don't care what any real sought-off Iraqi Iran guy says. Our Jesus will sit in Jerusalem and rule the world. get a little something to drink after that. <laughs> We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. Hey listen, it's like that little boy that was reading that book. He was reading a um He was reading a, a book. It's 10 past 10. Wow. Um, he's reading this book about um that it was a suspense novel and uh this is the last Sunday I can preach as long as I want to. Y'all know it's you know. Um, and, and he was reading about this bad guy, this dastardly, evil bad guy, and how he was just... Planning all this evil mayhem For this beautiful heroine And how she was just so scared And he got scared for her And he got scared for herself I mean, he's just a little boy And so what he decided to do Is just turn to the back of the book And read the last chapter And he read in the last chapter How the bad guy got killed in the end So then he turned back To where he was And every time that guy Would be planning some bad stuff He'd go, man, if you knew what I knew Woo! Amen, amen. Let the devil do what he wants to do. Just he's going to do his thing and, and we're going to hear people talk about how stupid we are and ignorant we are. All you've got to remember is I've read the last chapter in the book. I know how this thing turns out. I know how it turns out. Amen, amen. The Bible says in Psalm 2: four through nine, "But the one who rules in heaven laughs, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. When Hollywood's up there talking bad about him, he's just back in his throne just laughing. Amen. He laughs at these people who mock him. He scoffs at them, but then look what the Bible says. Now I didn't write this. y'all believe the Bible? Jesus wasn't very secret-friendly. God, God told it like it was. Look at verse uh, verse five, he says, "Then the anger, then in anger he'll rebuke them, terrifying them. With his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, and here's that verse six I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, my holy city. You say, Well, he hadn't placed him yet. I mean, he's acting like he's already placed him. Can I just tell you something? When God says something, it's established. It doesn't matter if it's happened yet or not. Go ahead and bank on it. It's gonna happen. The Lord proclaims the Lord's decree. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. You are my son. Today I'll become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Jesus will rule. We will win. We will conquer. Why will we conquer? Because he has conquered. We are conquerors because he has conquered and we are his children. Now, let me close. <laughs> we're talking about worship. Look what worship does. We're going to go through this very quickly. When you worship genuinely, it sharpens your focus. You know what a lot of people do? They worship worship. They worship worship. You got to be real careful about that because when we're worshiping, it's a really good feeling. So, what we have an inclination to do as humans is worship the idea of worship. Does that make sense? See what worship does. Look what it did to these people. It sharpened their focus. After they got through worshiping God, all of a sudden they were focused not on worshiping more, but now they're focused on expressing God's word. Look, and this is in your notes, expressing God's word. Um, (coughs) Acts 4.29, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Excuse me. Is that not what got them in trouble to begin with? And now they're asking for boldness to do it more? Because, see, genuine worship makes you focus on the call of God in your life. Genuine worship doesn't make you want to go somewhere and shut all the doors and worship, 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 worship. It makes you want to go forth and express the word of God to a lost and dying world. Look at verse 30. Not only did they, after they worshiped, their focus was on expressing God's word, but after they worshiped, their focus was on extending God's hand. I've got extending, but it's extending God's hand. Acts 4.30, first uh, first part of the verse. God, the way we want to express your word is by stretching out your hand to heal. Now let me tell you that Jesus wasn't there with them. So how could Jesus stretch out his hand to heal? He was in heaven. Here's what they meant by that. Our hands as his children are to be an extension of his hands. Yesterday, our teenagers went over to the home of a a poverty-stricken family and became the extended hands of Jesus to that family. God bless Pastor Jared and his leadership. Will you give them a hand this morning for what they did yesterday? When we go to the soup kitchen, it is an extension of the hand of God. When we pass out worship programs, when we stand in the parking lot with big white hands and say, Come, come. To the house of God, <laughs> we're an extension of His big hand. And I hear people, I hear a little mumbling and grumbling, I didn't get noticed, and I do this, and nobody said. But you know what? When you get to heaven, isn't it going to be so cool that God goes, you know, you never got leader of the month at Whitley Church? So I'm going to make you leader of the month now. Come on up here. What that, I mean, you're going to get you. You're going to get it, man. I mean, just hang in there. <laughs> the Bible says those who are last down here will be. Stop complaining. And <laughs> hey, nobody sees what I do. Jesus sees what you do. But when you whine like that, He goes, I ain't giving you nothing. <laughs> Don't whine. Just serve. That goes for pastoral staff too, doesn't it? See, that was a great place to say amen. Y'all missed it. (laughs) After they worshiped, their focus was also on exalting God's Son. Notice in the last part of verse 30 that they didn't want any glory. They didn't want any glory for the healing of this man. They didn't want any glory for the miracles. They say, we want signs and wonders to be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, we want him to get all the glory. Now... Genuine worship, what did we say? First of all, it increases our faith. Number two, it sharpens our focus. Number three, it produces his fruit. Now, look what happened. In Acts 4.31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. What does that really mean? I think it means where they were assembled was shaken. A whole lot of shaking going on. Thank you very much. And... Uh, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, these are the same people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. But this thing of being brimful of the Holy Spirit and running over is something you continually, amen, amen? You're continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You're continually filled. And so they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So here was the result. The Spirit was received. See, genuine worship, the Spirit will be received when we worship genuinely. And you can never divorce the fullness of the Spirit from the witness of the servant. I'd write that down. Number two, unity was achieved. I don't care how much you dance and shout and speak in tongues, you can levitate if you want to. Something's wrong when a church is fussing and fighting all the time. And we've had churches criticize us and say, Whitley Church isn't Pentecostal enough and all that, and we've been criticized and ripped up one side and down the other because we don't do a lot of the stuff a lot of these other churches do. I'll tell you something. I'll take the unity we got here because a lot of times when I'm looking at those who are criticizing us and ripping us for that, they're fussing and fighting like a bunch of cats and dogs. Did I just say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? There's inside words and outside words, and those are inside words that just got outside. I'm sorry. I apologize. Don't tell me how much of the power of God you got and you're splitting and running off to a different church about every six months or a year. Amen, 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 amen. That's good preaching. I don't care what anybody thinks. If you're full of God, you're going to be united. There's going to be unity. The Bible says in Acts 3, 4.32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither did anyone say that anything that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Look at the unity. And then finally, the gospel was believed. The Bible says in Acts 4.33, and with great power the apostles gave witness. That means they preached. They preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And when they did, great grace was upon them all. And when you study what great grace was upon them all means, it means that people got saved. People gave their heart to Jesus. Now, when we become really genuine worshipers in Whitley Church, the spirit will be received, unity will be achieved, and the gospel will be believed, and we'll see souls come into the kingdom. Y'all with me? So worship isn't about worship. Worship is about God and his will and him doing in us what he wants to do in us. Now start writing down stuff you're going to do to become a better worshiper. 12, I gave you 12 spots. Fill them all in. Make some more. Would you bow your head? Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you know Jesus? You say, well, I really admire him. You can admire Jesus and go to hell. You say, well, I really uh, think a lot of his teachings. I'm just telling you, you have to make a decision. You have to decide. You You know what Pilate's big problem was? Pilate's big problem was his indecision. It was revealed to Pilate who Jesus was, but Pilate never received Jesus. He said good things about Jesus. He said, you know, I find no fault in this man. He had genuine questions for Jesus, but Pilate died and went to hell because he never accepted Jesus for who he was. Now, I know that's plain preaching, and I know you don't hear that kind of preaching very much in these days, but I'm just telling you the truth you got to receive Christ. Quit putting it off. Quit putting it off. Quit making excuses. Today is your day. It's Palm Sunday. Easter's this weekend. Why don't you go ahead right now and receive Jesus into your heart. Quit fighting it. And why don't you receive him into your heart. This will be the best Easter you've ever had. So pray with me, everybody out loud. Dear Lord, Dear Lord I, know I know you gave your son, yes. Jesus Christ, Jesus. to die on a cross. He willingly died, he did it for me. He rose from the dead, and because he did, if I believe on him and receive him, I will be your child on this day, Palm Sunday. I ask you, Jesus, risen from the dead, come into my heart. I open the door, and I invite you into my life. Sit down on the throne of my heart and be my king, my savior, my ruler. I give you my life today. No more running. No more excuses. I am yours from this day on. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you prayed that and you meant business, because God does business with people who mean business, if you prayed that, would you just put your hand up right now and put it right back down? God bless you. Hands all over. Hands all over. Praise God. Can we rejoice? Can we rejoice? (laughs) Amen, amen. Now, those of you who raised your hand, come up here and tell me. If you're not ready to do that, tell somebody. Testify what you did today. First-time visitors, pick up your gift. Don't forget, we're receiving an offering to help the Jews get back to Israel according to the Word of God. So get your offering ready and drop it in as you go out today. God bless you. I love you guys. Thanks for coming.